You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 330 South Market Street. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. Well, it is Super Bowl Sunday and we're going to talk a little bit about sports, a lot about pressing on to follow Jesus. So I'm not sure what's going to happen between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers, but I do know that somebody's going to walk away a loser. They'll be disappointed and they will regroup and they will press on and hope next year is a better year. I also know that somebody's going to win and it's going to be an exciting time. And if they think next year that, hey, we're the best, nobody can beat us, and they're not going to press on, that they're going to lose because someone else is coming for that title. So, I don't know if you're going to watch the Super Bowl or not, but they need to press on. We need to press on. When we hear about these threats of sickness like the coronavirus, if we get sick or not, we need to press on and follow Jesus. When we think about the winter and the weather, today's a beautiful day actually, and we think about what's going to happen next, we have confidence to know that Puxatawney Phil did not see his shadow, which means an early spring because we put all of our weather hope on AccuWeather, weather forecasters, and a little rodent in Pennsylvania. When we think about pressing on, we go through life and we go through the difficulties and we say, whatever, I'm going to press on. Part of me didn't want to show up today because when I was like in elementary school, I was playing basketball and I lost half my tooth in some kid's head. It was weird because I was bleeding, his head was bleeding, half of my tooth was in his head and they were asking, the kid was asking me if I had my rabies shots. And uh, so they put like a veneer on my tooth and it decided to fall off yesterday. And uh, so now I talk like a kid who lost his tooth. I look terrible, I look like a hockey player that says, oh, we won the game, I stopped the puck with my tooth. And when they put the veneer, veneer over the top, it changes colors. It looks terrible. It looks like my teeth are rotting. But I press on and continue on. Matter of fact, I looked online because Google is the greatest place to find health information. And somebody suggested that you use crazy glue gel to put that veneer back on. And I thought about that. And I'm like, well, what if it doesn't come off? What if it's toxic and it gets into my blood system? What if I use too much and I have an allergic reaction, my throat swells up, and I glue my lips shut at the same time. That's just not going to go very well. I didn't do it, so I come to you ugly, humble, and talking like a kid who wishes he had his front teeth. Toby Mack, son, died of an drug, accidental drug overdose, and um, I'm seeing or hearing about people that are saying that he's a terrible parent, and that he... Um, should have spent more time with his kid, and it's all the parents' fault. But I know it's not, because my son died the same way. And I know that there's a Facebook group of over 10,000 parents and sisters and brothers and uncles and aunts who share stories of kids who died of accidental overdoses. Kids who were successful, kids who were in sports, not like the kids, many of them not like the kids that you think were the drug dealers, were the were the people that were, were so bad. Instead, they were, a lot of them were normal kids that died. And it's really sad. And that happened to me. And I know that some people in town probably talk about me behind my back, so, which is weird because I don't use any drugs. I don't even drink alcohol. And we've never had that in our house. So to blame me of poor parenting is odd. But I press on. Money is short. Uh, there's always difficulty for everybody when it comes to finances and health and everything, and we press on. Um, I took the trailer to St. Peter 
to wash it because it was dirty and there's no car wash here. And my neighbor said, oh, there's a great place in St. Peter. So I drove the trailer, loaded, all the way to St. Peter with my little truck. And I went out to lunch with another pastor there. Then I proceeded to try to get into the car wash, this great car wash, tight corner and everything, got it in there. Had no idea what I was getting into, kind of scary, got it done, brought it back. Only problem I really had was trying to get up the hill near the sewer. Truck was not happy about going up that big hill. But I pressed on. And I think a lot of times that if you're faithful to show up, just show up. You don't feel like doing it. You don't feel like going. You don't feel like sharing your faith. You don't look perfect. Maybe you lost half your tooth. But you show up. And God steps in. The Holy Spirit helps in. You're faithful to show up. You give it all you can. You're pressing on and the Holy Spirit shows up and says, let me help you with that. Let me help you with that load. Let me help you with that burden. Let me help you teach that. Let me help you share your faith. Let me help you disciple that person. Let me help you. Let me show you some things that need to change. Let me show you how you can live a better life and honor me and be more effective. So we press on. And Paul told the church of Philippi, the church of Philippi, that they needed to press on in the midst of difficulty to focus on knowing Christ. So that's number one, focus on knowing Christ. For some reason, if you fall behind and want to know what the answers are, it's posted on the back wall back there. I don't want, you, I don't want to lose you in the fill-in-the-blank uh, part. But number one, focus on Christ. So Philippians 3.7, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So here we have the Apostle Paul, who out of people that you think would have it all together and have something to boast about, saying that this, the past I consider loss. And when you look in Bible commentaries and things, there's some questions about what is he saying is lost. Now, uh, he grew up in a rich family, uh, an elite uh, family. He had the best training he could get as a Pharisee. He had um, the best of the best. And his family probably rejected him when he decided to follow Jesus. Uh, that was probably against what the family wanted for him. But so he's like, so the past, I consider lost. But what was lost? Being a Pharisee before he came to Jesus? Is that lost? Or was his Christian life up to that point lost? Was what he was doing in his Christian life, I mean, would he just say, I'm good? I mean, I'm really good. I mean, Jesus appeared to me, and I'm following Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's using me to write all this stuff, and I'm teaching all these people, and I'm really getting it done. I should really celebrate in my accomplishments, but he's like so focused on knowing Christ. In his head, he's like, it's just not enough. It's not enough for what I've done in the past. It's not enough for what I've learned about Christ. It's not enough for where I am in my Christian life. I just want so much more. I'm focused on Christ. I'm totally focused on Christ. And people were persecuting. People were putting him in jail. People were difficult. His family probably turned against him. And all of these difficulties, who knows what that thorn in the flesh was? He had all of these difficulties, and yet he, he constantly pursued Christ and kept going no matter what. You know, some of the most amazing plays in football are when the quarterback is about to get sacked. And you know, there's like a tenth of a second. Everybody's running towards him. You just know he's like thinking, I'm going to die. Maybe he's not. 
Um, so when I played, when I was I played high school football, I was I graduated early, so I was kind of little. I didn't. I was skinny. Well, I wasn't short. I was just really skinny. And so in the real games, I went to a big school. In the real games, I got to whenever somebody scored, I got to play. So I was on the kickoff and kickoff return team. So um, when receiving a kickoff, I still remember the panic in my mind of, oh no, the ball is coming to me. If I pick that ball up, I am most likely going to die. And I need to hold on to the ball or everybody will hate me. So most of the time the ball didn't come to me. So uh, nonetheless, to have that focus, have that focus. And I was reading this article, Why Athletes and Christians Need a Quiet Eye. Researchers have now identified some of the common mental processes that mark out elite athletes, and one of the most intriguing aspects appears to be a phenomena known as the quiet eye. It is a kind of enhanced visual perception that allows the athlete to eliminate any distractions as they plan their next move. Intriguingly, quiet eye appears to be particularly important in times of stress, preventing the athlete from, quote, choking, unquote, at moments of high pressure. It may even lead to the mysterious, quote, flow state, unquote, that same the same laser-sharp focus can help doctors maintain their focus as they perform surgery, and it is of increasing interest to the military. Kinesiologist Dr. Joan Vickers began to suspect the secret of extraordinary performance lay in the way that elite athletes see the world. She hooked up a group of professional golfers up to a device that precisely monitored their eye movements as they putted. She found an intriguing correlation, the better the player, the longer and steadier their gaze on the ball just before and during their strike. Novices, by contrast, tended to shift their focus between different areas of the scene for shorter periods of time. The general idea that you should keep your eye on the ball is well known, of course, but this suggested something more intricate that with, with the precise duration of the gaze correlating with an objective measure of sporting success. Researchers caution that we should be wary of assigning too much importance to the quiet eye Many other factors contribute to sporting genius, but it would certainly seem to be a key component of the extreme focus of athletes. So, what's the basketball coach tell you? Keep your eye on where you're shooting. So, look at, look at where you're going to throw that ball. Or the baseball coach, watch, look at the person when you throw the ball. To follow through, to focus on knowing Christ. When you focus on knowing Christ, when you focus on growing in Christ, when you look at your Christian life, and you look back and you say, God has been faithful, it's not good enough. My faith isn't good enough. Yes, I'm saved. Yes, I'm forgiven. Yes, I'm saved because of what Christ has, done, Christ has done in my life. But I need to move on, press on, grow. I need, I need more. I need to keep growing, and I need to keep serving, and I need to keep going because I have got a life in Christ, and I want to know Him more and more. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So God sees us as positionally righteous, but who can say that they have totally arrived? Who can read the Bible and say, oh, I know it all, I've got it all, nothing more to learn there because it's, it's living and active. The Holy Spirit reveals stuff to you. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. We've got a Bible that teaches us and guides us, and the more you read it, the more it can transform you, the more you learn about it. And it is awesome. So we are saved through Christ by having faith, by believing, by confessing our sin, uh, acknowledging that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that He rose again. 
on the third day, that he appeared to over 500 others, and that by believing upon him, we can be saved. So we ask him to forgive us our sins and to come into our lives. I prayed something like, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Make me the person you created me to be. I want to follow you. And when you pray something like that, it can open the door if, you, if you're actually meaning it. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's the, you are believing in Christ and wanting to follow Christ and uh, placing your faith in Christ. The How to Find God New Testaments on the back of the table. Explain that. You should get one uh, to share. And if you are curious about the Christian faith, you should get one to read. Galatians 2.16 Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So you look at all the rules in the Old Testament, and you're like, oh, if I could just keep all those rules, then God would have to accept me because I'd be perfect, right? No, because one, you've inherited sin, all the way back from Adam and Eve, and two, there is no way you could keep that, all those rules, all those for your entire lifetime. Couldn't even keep the Ten Commandments for your entire lifetime. I mean, really, you've never told a lie ever? Highly doubtful. God is holy. God is perfect. God has standards, and we don't meet it, but Jesus did. And by believing in Him, by placing our faith in Him, we get His righteousness, and that is credited to our account. So God sees us and our sin debt as paid in full so that we can spend eternity in His presence. It's a great thing. I'd love to explain more of that to you. But A, focus on performance. I want to know Christ, Philippians 3.10 the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Is Paul suicidal? Is he like, man, life is really hard. Just take me now, Lord. No. Paul, I believe, is saying he is all in. 100%. You can persecute me. You can kill me. I don't care. Just like... Just like the Chinese pastors today. Just like the Chinese pastors that are coming together and saying, you know what? The government wants to shut us up. The government wants to tell us what we can't say. They're going to kill us. They say they're going to kill us. Let them kill us. And that would be terrible. I mean, what about your family? But I hear that when the church is persecuted, the Holy Spirit shows up and gives them courage and helps them through. And Paul is saying, I want to, I want to know Christ more and more. And the power of his resurrection was when he rose from the dead, that was like superpower. And if I could have that kind of superpower to help me live life here and then help me to then transfer onto eternity in his presence, and yeah, I might suffer, but I'm all in. I want to become like him in his death. Jesus went to the cross on purpose. Jesus knew what he was getting into. He was not taken by surprise. The Bible says he could have called a whole lot of angels to come rescue him, and he did not. And Paul is like, I am in like that. I am fully committed. I'm going to focus on living the Christian life, knowing Christ, focusing on the performance. Not the performance to impress people, but the performance before the audience of one that says, I don't care what everybody else thinks. I only think about what God thinks, and God wants me to do this. God would be pleased if I did that. I'm going to be 100% all in. Focus on, focus on performance. 1 John 2.3, we know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. So once you start reading through the Bible, saying that is something that I need to do. Not because you're trying to be saved, but because you are saved. You want to live like Christ wants you to live. So you start to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to watch this anymore. I'm not going to listen to that anymore. I'm not going to drink that anymore. And I'm not going to smoke that anymore. You look at all that and you're like, okay, I might be living a list. But it's a list based upon what the Bible says because I want to know Christ more and more. I want to follow His commands. I want to love God and I want to love others. I want to take care of this temple. 
I want to make disciples. I want to win lost people to Christ. I'm going to quit doing things that might cause people to not come to Christ. Focus on pursuit and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Or another translation so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So, I mean, he's thinking, okay, I got this life. It's a temporary life on earth and then uh, somehow I'm going to be transferred into eternity, into Jesus' presence. And I want that power. I want to be able to experience that resurrection. Maybe a rapture. Maybe, maybe he's thinking Jesus is going to come back in his lifetime and that would be it. Or when he dies, he knows that in the blink of an eye, he's going to go from this life to the pre- being straight in the presence of Jesus. And he was all on that. The pursuit of his life was huge. It wasn't, I'm going to live life until I'm 70 and then I'm going to retire and I'm going to take it easy and be real comfortable and hopefully I'll die in my sleep. No, he's like, I'm going to live a life that from every day that I have breath and I'm able, I am able, I'm going to serve Jesus, focusing on the pursuit. He's going to focus on patience. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. So he's realizing, just like us, we have not arrived. And we will never fully arrive until that time when we have been, uh, when we're resurrected, when we're going to be with Jesus, get those glorified bodies. Uh, we won't totally arrive. He has not already obtained it. He's being patient. He's like, I'm going to keep working the process for my entire lifetime. There's no seminar, no book, no pastor, no nobody that can make you perfect in every way. So we keep pressing on and we're patient. We say God isn't finished with us yet. We focus on persistence. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Jesus died on the cross for you not just to save you from your sins, but to help you to live a Christ-honoring life, to help you to live a life that transforms the world, to help you live a life that glorifies God in all the good times and the bad times. Sometimes you glorify God the most when your life is falling apart, when you're diagnosed with a sickness, when you heard that you lost your job, or when life is falling apart, you are able to glorify God. Uh, Levi Luskos, uh, Through the Eyes of a Lion, chapter 8, talks about they lost a child, a young child. Talks about how pain is a microphone and how when you're suffering in pain, the world is watching to see how you're going to live how you're going to glorify Christ. They're listening. And your voice and what you do is much louder when people know that you're going through pain and you're still holding on to Jesus. E, focus on process. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing, I do. I do. I'm going to hold on to that I do for a second. Maybe it's taken a little bit out of context. But there are things that we should do as Christians. The idea of, oh, I'm saved. I don't have to do anything. makes no sense at all. Matter of fact, a good list of 12, 12 Christian disciplines in the Christian life are things that you should do. Bible study, church attendance, discipling, evangelizing, giving, guidance, managing time and gifts, uh, missions, cross-cultural ministry, prayer, quiet time, social justice, worship. Those are all things that you should do. You know, one of the craziest things to me is when people think that they should come to church and be part of church and everything and they show up empty-handed and they like live their entire lives and they never give anything back to God. Even Dave Ramsey, the, the financial expert who can pack out the Target Center with people that want to hear how to get out of debt, say, you need, to, you need to tithe, you need to give, you should give to God and then God can bless your finances. So the whole idea of, well, I'm in debt and I'm not going to give anything because you know I just God doesn't want me to be in debt, He just wants me to love each other. It's like, I don't know how you show up to God, not you, how people show up to God empty-handed, but Paul says, do the one thing I do. This is the one thing he does. 
He did a lot of other things too and taught a lot of other things, but I just wanted to focus on that I do thing because there are things that we need to do as Christians. We're not living a list to make ourselves right with God. We're living a list because we want to be used by God. We want our lives to be blessed. We want to be able to come to the end of our life and say, we, we did our best and we were faithful and God was faithful. Matter of fact, when you give beyond what you think you can give and then God answers and gives you resources, God helps you to pay those bills, God extends your finances, uh, that is a God sighting and helps you grow in faith in the Christian life. God can bless you through your giving. Romans 8.38, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons or the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord in Romans 8.38. Sometimes we feel so far away from God. Sometimes it's like, God, where are you? I'm out here. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm not feeling it. You're not answering my prayers the way that I hope you would. It always seems like God shows up at the last minute. I'm from Texas. I went to Sam Houston State University. I uh, was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals. Going into my 13th year of professional football, uh, most recently signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. My name is Josh McCowan, and I'm just an average Joe, but I have a game plan for life. Uh, obviously, you know, over the course of an NFL career, everybody has different things that happen, and some people have the luxury uh, and the opportunity to stay in one place and play a long time, but you know, it's certainly not the case for most people anymore, and, and my story uh, holds true to that. I've played for seven teams in 13 years and have moved a lot and gone through a lot of times where uh, it was really good and then a lot of times where it was really lean. And, and uh, 2010, uh, I was out of football. That was a tough thing to go to. And even in 2011 and 2012, coached high school football um, through most of the high school season and then got signed with the team later in the year. So those are struggles because uh, it's hard when you want to hold on to something, when you want to, when you, when you have an identity that you hold as a football player or just as a man in general. It says, this is who I am, this is what I'm known by, and that's taken away from you. You really have to, you know, kind of reassess where you're at. And for me, it was a great time to, to assess myself spiritually and, and say, you know, who am I? What am I about? What's my identity wrapped up in? I likened that time for me, similar to, to David in Psalm when he was being pursued by Saul and hiding in the cliffs and he had so much time to spend by himself. Even before, you know, when David's out in the wilderness as a young man uh, watching the sheep, before he, he fought any battles, just, just spending so much time with God and, and it allowed me to do that. And I think through those times, God really revealed to me who I am in Him, and it strengthened my awareness of that, and it really rooted me in that, in that identity in Christ and, and not in these other things. And so moving forward, as I got back into the NFL, it really changed my perspective and it changed my focus and the way that I went to work every day because I went to the work every day not fearing what might happen and not fearing uh, whether I could be successful or not or whether, you know, today might be my last day and I could get cut, but it was more of just, man, I'm a child of God. I'm going to work uh, with an opportunity to be in an environment with a bunch of guys in a locker room and, and to be able to serve my teammates as a member of a team and in doing so, hopefully honor God in the process. And that was the main thing for me. I think my biggest struggle going through, you know, because it's a prideful thing, going through those things and, and really evaluating who I was and where my identity was wrapped up in was a key thing that I have learned throughout my career, throughout the different jersey changes, because the sticker on the helmet, the jersey changes all the time. But what I've realized is that God stays the same and God's constant throughout. When I was going through 2010 and 2011, kind of this time of 
not knowing what was going to happen next. One of the things I really felt like God hit me with, you know, I'd always read and understood Colossians 3.23, do everything as unto the Lord and not for man. I don't know if I really let it uh, sink in and come out of me. And so I, I really had this feeling that if I get back in the NFL, I want to do that and I want to do it every day. I feel like I looked back at my career and I was very inconsistent. I had days when I worked really hard. I could lay my head on my pillow at night and go, I worked as unto the Lord today. But I don't think I did that consistently. And so I felt like when you're out, you just wish you could get back in. I felt like, you know, if I'm back in, that's the way I want to approach every day. I want to be able to know that when I enter the locker room, I serve my teammates, and when I study film, and when I study my game plan, and when I even play the game, I want to be able to know you know what, I, I've done this unto the Lord and not for man and not for the pat on the back or, or not so I can punch a clock and say, look, I've been here this many hours, but, but this is what, the, you know, my job, this is what they're asking me to do. And I'm going to honor God by doing it with excellence and by doing it at, at the highest level I can. And so, uh, so that was the thing that I think when I got back into the league, I really uh, took with me and, and, and made my approach is that I want to be able to look up over the course of a 17-week season and say every week, I did it and I approached it that way instead of saying, oh, I did it week one, but I didn't do it in week two or three. And, and I really felt like I'd been inconsistent over my career. And so I think that was the biggest change for me coming back into the league is, is really taking that verse, doing everything as unto the Lord and not to man, uh, taking that to heart and let it come out of me in the way that I approach my day. All right, so he pressed on. He had multiple team changes. He was retired and then... He's like, well, I guess I'll just coach high school football. And then he was pulled out of retirement. And so uh, nothing sure in his life. But he learned a lesson in that whole process was to trust in God and to follow God and to, to be faithful. He kept pressing on. So he was like a weeble because weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Come on. Come on, all you old people. You should know that. Come on, latchkey kids. Back me up here. All right. Number two, let go of the past. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. You know, Paul had persecuted Christians. Paul had a bunch of stuff in his past that were messed up. He had to let it go. When, like the cartoon, the drawing here says, we need to let go of unforgiveness, of pain, mistakes, sins, bitterness, pride, uh, toxic people, uh, wrong people. All these things that hold us back. We need to ask forgiveness and then we need to move on. Don't sit on your hands and say, well, I can't share my faith because this person knows that I screwed up. I can't do this because I'm not perfect. Instead, Jesus knows who you are, what you've done. Get that cleaned up, forgiven, maybe see a counselor or whatever, and then move on. And we need to forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. You know, sometimes though, it's not your past. It's not just the things that you're ashamed of or the things that were wrong or the things that were bad. Some people think that what they did in the past was so awesome they can't let it go. So how many of you hear stories from local people in the community that tell you about their glory days of you know high school or college football 40 years ago? And they're still holding on to that as their identity. That's weird. Who are you today? So don't say, I'm so perfect or oh, Jesus really needs me. Instead, you forget what is behind. Your, even your successes sometimes. And you strive and you move forward and you make a difference in the world. Number three, keep pressing forward toward the goal. I press toward the goal, Philippians 3.14, to win the prize which Christ is calling me, which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So we have to press toward the, keep pressing forward toward the goal to win the prize and celebrate with the team. So, 
The goal is life in Christ. The goal is serving Christ the way that you're supposed to. The goal is living the Christian life the way that the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you and empowers you. The goal is to honor the Lord, to love God, and to love others, and to make a difference in the world. To win the prize. What is the prize? Maybe there'll be a time when you will stand before the Lord and He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Maybe you can come to the end of your life and like Paul, 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. So another sports analogy Paul uses, like, uh, you, like the Olympian that gets the crown. So we push on and we celebrate with the team. Can you imagine in heaven celebrating with Jesus and the team and when you remember all the things? that the Lord worked and did in your life and people around you are saying, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you or your ministry or your church or your giving or uh, all those different things. Our faith in Christ is based on what Christ has done, not what we do. And we want to follow after the Lord in obedience because it opens the door for Him to bless us. It opens the door for us to be used by Him. And sometimes we get discouraged because we've tried stuff before. We've tried to share our faith or we've tried other things and it just hasn't worked like we thought, so we give up. And John, Mox, John Maxwell in 21 Laws of Leadership calls that the law of the lid. You try to get past the lid, it keeps hitting you in the head and you never try again because you tried it before, it didn't work. But the weird thing is the more you share your faith, even if it doesn't work out, the better you get at it. And eventually, somebody's going to say, yeah, that sounds good. What must I do to be saved? And then you need to help them cross over from this life to the next by telling them what they must do to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I like to lead them in a prayer because it's a good way for them to communicate that and then help them to grow in Scripture. Uh, help take that new baby Christian and give them some milk and feed them. But uh, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. I, my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. So we get to be rewarded for the works that the Holy Spirit helps us to do. It's awesome in every way. Jesus, I thank you that you have given us this hour. I thank you that you have uh, provided for uh, this place for us to meet. I pray that you would take something from this message and put it into people's hearts and lives and that there would be many people saved, that lives would be transformed, that the community would be turned upside down by Christ followers telling people how they can know Jesus and experience new life and how we can keep pressing on. So Jesus, we thank you. And we will sing, This is Amazing Grace. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. We meet 10 a.m. Sundays at Chatfield Elementary School on 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.